0: Hi there, your buddy the humble farmer with an hour of old fashioned music just for you. Thank you for listening. I think I think it is a crying shame that so many old people have nothing to look forward to. They have nothing to live for because they've done everything. They slouch around with a hang dog, been there, done that look on their faces that would make a make a coyote up chuck the rotten deer he'd had for breakfast. I, however, you know this, I have gone out of my way to not do everything. I have saved some new and exciting thrills that I plan to do for the first time when I'm 90. I eagerly look forward to my 90s for these many exotic culinary pleasures that there await me. I have put these things off for 80 years so that when I'm 90 I can enjoy for the first time things like quiche and all the other delightful hippie foods that were unknown at my mother's dinner table. (laughs) it. Oh, let me turn the fan off. We don't want that going here. Old people, you know this, old people don't know much of anything. And of course, I'm speaking for myself. But I am old, which means that I am still easily amazed by the way young people think. (laughs) Back when I was a kid, we were getting $100 a month for being in the Coast Guard, serving in the military, $100 a month. Imagine how you'd feel if your boss suddenly tripled your present salary. Well that's the way we knew we'd feel when we got out of teachers college because teachers were getting almost $300 a month. We wondered how in the world we'd be able to spend $300 a month. That was that was well was $3000 a year. We'd be rich. You could buy a house and a barn on an acre of land in Tents Harbor for $3,500. I've done it. One day, I was walking down that little side street in Camden. You know, the one that leads down to the public landing, goes down the slope there. I was walking down there when a very tall boy said to me, Hey, you're the humble farmer. I listen to you on the radio. Well, we, we talked to this and that until the inevitable topic of going south for the winter came up. He was going south for the winter. To Florida? No the Caribbean. A Caribbean, say it any way you want. He was going to cook on a boat. Good duty. Now I suppose you're willing to do it for next to nothing, you know. Just have a room and meals down there where it's warm. Oh no, the pay is quite good. Well what do you call good? Oh eight hundred to a thousand a week? Eight hundred to a thousand a week? How do you get a job like that? See all those boats down there? And he pointed at the yachts moored over on the other side of Camden Harbor. You You just walk alongside and you ask if they need a chef. I'm a chef. I studied how to be a chef. Well, my conversation with this kid set me right back on my heels. Many people who own businesses have told me that it's impossible to find help unless they hire someone away from their competitors by paying higher wages. Well, of course, higher wages, I don't suppose, that's $1,000 a week. <laughs> anyway, Someone there, these people hire someone their competitor has already trained. Now, I was just told by a man that the agency in Rockland was unable to find a young person who would work for him. And it's probably... Because here's a bright kid who lives within a mile of May who takes it for granted that he can earn a thousand a week all winter on a boat in the Caribbean. Now I found this—I found this hard to believe. I, I said to this kid, I says, "How can you get a thousand a week, cooking on a yacht?" And the kid said, "There are more people with money than there are cooks." It's over. <laughs> that was our friend Aaron Robinson playing something by Max Morath. You might know that Aaron Robinson lives up in Almer, Head Tide, one of them places that you can't get to from here. He comes out of the jungles every once in a while, comes down to my house and plays on a couple of my pianos. Wonder to listen to him. Aaron Robinson here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening because I could never afford to have children, I'm constantly amazed by the short-sighted and off-hand manner in which parents treat their little ones. Most parents I've seen talk to children as if they were children. If I had a child, I would employ linguistic constructs conducive to the child's social development and economic advancement. I once read, I've told you this before, I once read that an anxious hostess who scalded a five-year-old Aldous Huxley with tea inquired as to his condition, This and the five-year-old Aldous Huxley reportedly replied, Madam, the pain has somewhat abated. Now, wouldn't even a below-average child quickly absorb the language employed by his parents? Another thing I don't understand is the games children are encouraged to play. Listen to this, my wife is teaching a grandchild to play cribbage, cribbage. Wouldn't you think grandparents would teach the child to count cards so the child would be able to support us in our old age? hmm do, do 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 Scott Hamilton here on The Humble Farmer. Where with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you for listening. I am farmer at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. i like to know what you're doing right this very minute. And I don't know how many pair of reading glasses I lost last summer. Every time I bend over to pick rhubarb, Glasses fall out of my pocket when I'm not looking I don't see them again till I run over them with a lawnmower in the fall. And I noticed one day that I was wearing a shirt with a fold over tab of cloth on it and a button on the pocket. So the glasses couldn't fall out, which made me think that all I have to do is <laughs> all I have to do is put a safety pin on my shirt pocket when I get up in the morning. You now probably I would be unable to get my glasses out when I want to, but I'm passing this along to you as a public service, because even though I might not get another 40 years of value out of this glasses saving information, well, I hope that you certainly might. I just can't believe what what Bix could do. <laughs> just blowing the same note over and over. Wow! <laughs> I've heard that hundreds of times, and it's still breathtaking. Mm, you know, some people can't do what they want to do. Some people that might like to play can't do it. We went to an open house. My wife, Marcia, the almost perfect woman, was right in her glory. Is there's nothing my wife enjoys more than meeting new people, she enjoys meeting you, she enjoys seeing you, and she enjoys chewing over the state of the social union. Now, the most heartwarming story she came home with on this particular day was from the indulgent mother of a wannabe musician like myself. More than anything, this woman's son wants to be a musician. But he's like me. He either lacks that extra talent that would enable him to survive on his earnings as a musician, or else the demand for his particular instrument is not enough to keep him going. I'm I'm not privy to the details on this particular fellow. Nevertheless, he loves playing so much that he is not distracted by the hopelessness of ever becoming a supporting full-time musician, and he continues to play evenings whenever he can fortunately he's able to sustain himself by his day job as a neurosurgeon Say you care. You say you care, Scott Hamilton. Here on the humble farmer, this week celebrating my thirty-ninth year of making radio programs just for you. Thirty-nine years this week we've been making the humble farmer radio program. I remember, I remember making the first one. I was, I was scared. I think it was Janice Gray was working the buttons for me up there in Orino used to drive all the way to Orono to make this program. <laughs> Who would have known the technology we'd have today to do it? Anyway, I am the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And here's something my Luddite friend, Cochise. You might remember me getting letters from Cochise. Cochise calls me up about every year and tells me what he's doing. Cochise lives way north of Kingfield. And Cochise was one of my faithful listeners, many, many years. And Cochise said to me one day, When they can teach a kid how to split a card of wood on a computer, I'll get one. <laughs> Cochise says, Cochise says he could be a judge. He says to be a good judge, you should have some experience on the other side of the bench.
2: My brain is always ticking, my brain, my brain is always ticking, long as I am live and kicking, my brain, cool little cluster, that's my brain, my brain is steady working, my brain, my brain is steady working, my brain, my brain is is always working, as you keep that coffee perking my brain cool and Crustle, so that's my brain
0: Was it Bernard and Tom Miller who brought Mose Allison into the Bayview Street Garage to play? I remember being in the Bayview Street Garage there and in Camden. Mose Allison got up the piano. He said, anybody smokes a cigarette, I'm... What's going on my thing here? He said, anyone smokes a cigarette. Mose Allison said, anyone smokes a cigarette, I'm getting up and walking out of here. <laughs> it was, what, 30 thirty forty years ago when it you could still smoke in what's going on, with my mic here and you could still smoke in places. Mose Allison, when I went into the Maine State Automobile Registration Office to get a paper for a friend of mine, I was I was surprised by the large crowd of people sitting there in the seats waiting. There was a sign that said, Take a number. Then you wait for them to call your number. This is the result of downsizing, (laughs) eliminating waste, draining the swamp. You've heard about draining the swamp, downsizing. Downsizing means getting rid of useless bureaucrats to save the taxpayers' money. And most people feel good when they hear about it. Oh boy, we're going to drain the swamp, we're going to downsize. But now we have drained the swamp to the extent that when you call a government office to try to find out about something, you get an answering machine, which refers you to yet another answering machine. So now, sometimes it's pretty hard to find out about anything, and, and when we go in to register a car in the Rockland area, we take a number and we wait. Now, perhaps you're not old enough to remember when it was fashionable to laugh at the long waiting lines they had in Russia. They used to post pictures of them. We always saw these pictures of people waiting in long lines. And underneath it would say, (laughs) underneath these long lines of people, it would say, this is what it's like to live under communism. So the next time you have to stand and wait in line, remember that it is downsizing that has advanced our country to the kind of lines that the Russians were complaining about 40 years ago. That's not what I want to play. Next, what do I want to play? Get got the wrong thing queued up here. I want number one. That's what I want. There we are. Scott Hamilton here on the Humble farm. Oh, it's time to thank you for listening. You know, with any luck and all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite radio station. Thank you for listening. Because I'm often allergic to the smell of food in my mouth that I've just eaten. Unless I water-pick and scrape my tongue immediately after eating, I'm likely to cough, cough, cough. You might know people who have that problem. One noon, I was finishing up my postprandial routine before the mirror when I noticed that I was scraping green slime off my tongue. And the thought immediately flashed through my mind. Well, Robert, Just remember that a bit of green on your tongue is not the last time today you're going to be reminded of the fact that you just ate a pound of fresh asparagus. There it is, right there. Having old age catch up to you is a terrible thing. I was a hypochondriac all my life until I was 79, and then bang, all of a sudden I got sick. Hamilton. Almost time to get out here. Time for one more here. Anyone who lives in Maine knows that there are two basic schools of thought when it comes to putting on your sweater. You can either hang on to your shirt cuffs when you put your sweater on, or you can let the sweater drag your shirt cuffs way up over your elbows. Every morning when I put on my sweater, I'm faced with this ubiquitous metaphysical problem. Should I cast my lot with the cuff-holders, or should I join those who don't mind their shirt-cuffs pulled up above the elbow? The reason I've never taken a stand might suggest to an unbiased observer that one way is really no better than the other. The difference between the two philosophies is so meaningless and insignificant. I'm surprised the two camps have never gone to war. you so much for listening. With any luck, I'll be back next week, same time on your favorite station, playing old-fashioned music just for you.